everybody, my name is Rob, and I'm the campus minister, if we haven't met, with RUF at App State. And what is RUF? RUF is a ministry, it's a campus ministry, not for good people, but for guilty people in need of God's grace. It's for anyone who needs the gospel. Because the gospel, we have said, looking at the, the gospel of Mark, that it is not good advice. It's not a spiritual program for how to get spiritually fit. It is good news. The gospel means a good announcement of what God has done through Jesus, what he is doing, what he will do. So with that in mind, let's turn our eyes to Mark 10, 17 through 27. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your uh, your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you you are aware, some of you care, that tomorrow night there is a football game at Kid Brewer, which is fun, but the exciting news is that there will be fans in the stadium tomorrow night. Bad news is that only 2,100 people will be in the stadium, not the usual full capacity, 7%. So the big question for anyone who cares has been, who gets in? Who gets into the stadium? And it's not even 2,100 students. There's only 800 students who will be in that stadium tomorrow night. So um, imagine some of you put your name in for the lottery and some of you have already found out maybe that you got in. Probably a very small amount of you or any of you. And a lot of you have found out that you didn't get in. So unless you have a grappling hook and are going to scale the building or if you're going to tunnel underneath the stadium a la Fantastic Mr. Fox, you won't be in that stadium tomorrow night. There's a very similar question that Jesus is is posing to us here, that he's pressing in on us, which is this, who can be saved? Who gets into God's kingdom, to God's family? And so who will experience elevated forever eternal joy and wholeness in his kingdom, in his family, in his presence? I mean, for maybe some of you, this question immediately hits home because you are concerned and you want to know, 
Am I saved? Or how do I know that I am saved or people that I care about are saved? But it's possible that this question falls flat for you. And, and you, I mean, salvation, being saved, this is kind of distant, weird religious talk. It's also possible that the question, who can be saved, just rubs you the wrong way. Because, one, it implies that people need to be saved. But also, it sounds really inherently kind of exclusive and, and haughty toddy. Like, some people get in. All the people that are really good, the best people with the best moral resources who have the golden ticket, they get in to the spiritual stadium and some people get left out in the cold. It's the way it works, right? Well, what I want to invite you to consider is that every single one of us, whether you consider yourself a person of faith or not, a religious person or not, each one of us is longing for salvation. Because on some basic level, each one of us is longing to be in to be approved and accepted in whatever circle we find most valuable and, and weighty. And each one of us is longing for elevated joy and wholeness, fullness that will last. This is just basic to every single person. And so each one of us is longing for a salvation. And so for each one of us, the question from Mark 10 comes right at us. Who can be saved? Who can be saved? And I want to help us unpack this question by looking at two things from Mark 10. The problem and the solution. The problem and the solution. So first, the problem. And here in Mark 10, we're introduced to this really fascinating guy. And through history, he's become known as the rich young man or the rich young ruler. And what do we find out? Uh, about him here. We see what his attitude is in verse 17, that he runs up to Jesus. So he's eager. He's eager to get to Jesus. And he kneels before Jesus and he calls him a good teacher. So he knows that Jesus has, has something to offer him. That Jesus has some kind of authority to, to answer questions that he has. And what is he looking for? You can see there again in verse 17, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to receive the in with God's kingdom and family? And, the, and so to receive elevated joy, fullness, happiness, satisfaction. So in other words, what must I do to be saved? But let's notice how he phrases the question. He says, what must I do? And that becomes really significant as we go on. Because he assumes that there is something that he can do, something that he can bring to the table, some kind of golden ticket that maybe he can, he can show at the, the ticket box office and say, I belong. Let me in. Well, even as, as eager as he is, there are a couple of problems as he approaches Jesus. And first, there's a problem of source, a problem of source. Because he says to Jesus there in 17, good teacher. And the first part of Jesus' response to him is this. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Why do you call me good? Well, clearly Jesus isn't saying, why do you call me good? I'm not good. I'm actually a pretty bad dude. Jesus knows that he is perfect, sinless, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, so he's not saying, I'm not good. What he's hitting the rich young man with is a question of source. 
I mean, he's, Jesus has been cued in from the first thing this guy says that, that he assumes that goodness is something that God can be good, but also people can be good. And Jesus is asking him, well, where is your source of goodness? No one is good except God alone. God alone is the source of goodness. I mean, let's put this in our context. How often do we talk about what is good and what is wrong or evil and without reference to what goodness is? I mean, so often, we, we rightfully, we talk about justice and injustice without considering what is justice? Where does it come from? And so Jesus is confronting him with this problem of source. Why do you think that anyone could be good? God alone is the source of goodness. There's another problem, which is the problem of standard. So Jesus gives him the second part of his response. He says there, you know the commandments in verse 19. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. So Jesus is telling him, you know this this shorthand version of the Ten Commandments, just from the first part of the Bible, this standard that God gave to his people to reflect his goodness. Jesus says, you know the standard. You've heard what God has said. And then what what does the man respond with? He takes the bait because Jesus is is leading him in a, a certain direction. And he says there in verse 20, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So he's saying, I've kept the standard. I've never murdered anyone. I'm not sleeping around. You know, I, I've never stood in a you know, given testimony and lied about someone in a court. So basically, I'm kind of killing it. You know, I've, I've met the standard. So he's taken the bait. But Jesus, let's notice here in verse 21, first, that it says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. But secondly, what Jesus is going to say to him is really fascinating. And so what we should, should notice is that Jesus, it, it reminds me of what Shrek says about ogres, is that Jesus' interactions with people have layers, like an onion. Jesus is like an onion. And what he says here is very surprising. So verse 21, Jesus loved him and he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. Okay, so one, this guy has this standard that he, he, he thinks that he understands that, yeah, I've not murdered anyone. But what he doesn't see is that Jesus says in another gospel that anyone who holds hate in his heart toward another person has committed murder according to God's standard. But also, Jesus throws at him this really interesting, fascinating, and heavy command. He says, go and sell everything that you have. Take all of your possessions, all of it, and give it all away to the poor. With Jesus telling him, here is actually the standard, is that you have to sell everything. You have to become a hermit and homeless. I think we'll see that that cuts against everything that Jesus is getting at here. But here's the problem. The guy doesn't meet the standard. And there's the problem next of sadness. Because in verse 22, he's disheartened by the saying, and he goes away sorrowful because he has great possessions. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus knows this guy's heart, and he knows that he has great money, great possessions, and he is attached to it. He loves it. He loves all of it. 
And he doesn't want to give it up. And so he goes away disappointed. I mean, he's kind of like Post Malone, Posty, in Rich and Sad. I would, <laughs> I would give it all away. I just wish that the money made you stay. I mean, this is this, this idea that anything that he possesses would be able to get him through the door and give him elevated joy and satisfaction. But he's disappointed. He doesn't want to give it up. Well, what is Jesus getting at here? And we see it more clearly in verse 25 when Jesus gives this this challenging joke. He says in verse 25, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is really telling a joke here because he wants us to picture trying to shove a camel through the eye of a needle. It's like trying to shove a blue whale through a hula hoop. This is what it's like for someone who is rich in spirit to try to enter the kingdom of God. Because Jesus is not just saying, okay, you've got to give away all your possessions because money is bad and rich people are bad. And it's only poor people who make it into the kingdom of God. Jesus is making a bigger point. It's anything that you possess, you have, or you try to attach yourself that you think, this is my ticket in. Or this is going to give me that elevated joy, that lasting joy. Being rich in spirit is thinking that anything that I have and bring to the table can save me. And Jesus is saying, you can't take it with you. It's like trying to shove a camel through the eye of a needle. There was, uh, at the beginning of this year, there was this... uh, basically these salvage companies that were bidding on who was going to be able to go down into the ocean, down to the Titanic where it, has, where it sank, and get some of the, the last bits of treasure that are still down there. Because there are still supposedly these kind of like jewelry and, and bits of really valuable things down there at the bottom of the ocean. Because anyone who made it off the Titanic was fortunate to make it off with their lives but they couldn't take any of their trunks filled with, with jewels or, or nice things with them. This is what Jesus is saying, is that anyone who tries to, to say that what I bring to the table can save me is like trying to bring your luggage with you off the Titanic. It just doesn't work. I mean, this is, for each one of us, the way that we operate, though. We think that we can take the luggage off the Titanic, we can picture it's like the, the Hollywood actor who in his 90s gets Botox or plastic surgery because he thinks, okay, maybe I can just stretch out these good looks a little bit longer. Well, you can smooth out the lines a little bit, smooth out the wrinkles, but you can't take your youth and your beauty with you. It's as absurd as that is. It's the way that we operate whenever we think that something that I bring to the table can save me. And the problem is that nothing in yourself can save you. And this goes for both material stuff and for moral stuff. For material stuff, none of us think that like, I can take a wad of cash and shove it into my soul. But we do think, this is the promise of online shopping, is that there is that one purchase out there that if, if I, it's going to be satisfying. Or the promise of a brand, that if I buy the right, I mean, even in Boone, there are brands that are like status symbols, that if I have this brand on, that I'm more in. But none of this stuff can go with you. This is, it goes, goes the same for moral stuff. 
We, like the rich young man, we set up our own standard for what makes me in. And so it's going to you know, give me entitlement to joy and satisfaction. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that affiliation with a political party will get you into the kingdom of God or earn you salvation. But so often that's the kind of standard we set for ourselves. But even when we set our own standards, we can't even meet our own standards. Yes, we say that we should show all people dignity, but do you show dignity? Do I show dignity to people with whom I disagree politically? We can't even meet our own standards. So the problem is that there is nothing in you that can save you, nothing that can lift you up to heaven. But the problem is also that anything that you cling to, it only has the power to weigh you down. The more that we attach ourselves to our stuff, material stuff, or the more we attach ourselves, our hearts, to moral stuff, the things that I say, this is what makes me good, this is what gets me in the more it detaches you from the only standard of good and the only source of joy. The more we think this is going to lift me up, the more it just brings me down. I mean, this, is, this gets to the real, I, I would say, controversy of Christianity is that unlike any other religion, it not only condemns our bad works, it condemns our good works. Anything that I would say, this is, what, this is my ticket. So this is a real problem for each one of us. So let's now turn to the solution, the solution. Okay, so after Jesus has, has made this profound point, the disciples are really filled with a kind of despair. So they say there to uh, Jesus in verse 26, then who can be saved? Notice first that they no longer say, what must I do to be saved? But they're just saying, who can be saved? I mean, there is... Something, too, there's an ancient view that people that had more money obviously had more of God's favor showered upon them. But they're also looking at this guy. I mean, the rich young man, I mean, if you take him at his word, I mean, he's a pretty good dude. I mean, he's known as a rich young ruler because he was apparently some kind of religious leader at the time. He's a respected person. And Jesus has just told him, nothing that you offer is going to save you. And so this is the cry of those who are poor in spirit. Then who can be saved? Those who know that they have nothing in themselves to offer. What is the hope that Jesus gives them? Jesus looked at them in verse 27 and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Maybe this seems kind of vague, some kind of vague hope. So what is Jesus getting at here? Well, he's flipping it around. He's saying you've been looking at salvation as though it's something that goes from you to God. Salvation is something that goes from God to you, from God to people. It is impossible for people to save themselves, but with God, it is perfectly possible. All things are possible with God. Take the focus off of yourself and put it on me. Today, I went out in my neighborhood and I ran less than a mile. And before I even got to half a mile, I was more out of breath than like an a thousand year old pug or like some some animal that like struggles with exercise. That's how out of breath I was. And I realized like if someone told me, "Okay, we're going to go out and run a 5K, I would look at them and say that is impossible. It is just not possible for me. But I, I had the privilege of going out to the Greenway and seeing the girls cross country team, apps cross country team run. 
And not only did uh, some of our girls from RUF run in that meet, but they crushed it. They won. And it was just mind-blowing to watch them like, do my version of a sprint for three miles. With Rob, impossible. <laughs> With them, it's possible. And what Jesus is saying is you are trying to push the wrong direction and force it as if salvation comes from you to me. Let it come freely to you. There's a great skit in a show called I Think You Should Leave, which is a Netflix uh, bizarre sketch show. And, and one of the sketches has the main character, and he's sitting down in an interview. And, and the interview goes pretty well, and so he says goodbye to the interviewer, and he's thinking, okay, yeah, clearly I may be able to get in with this job. And he goes to the door, and as this main character is leaving, he tries to pull the door open, and it won't go. And the guy who's interviewing him, sitting down, says, oh, you have to push. And thinking that, oh, I have to show my, my intelligence and my power to get in with this job, the main character says, no, I mean, you can pull it out. I've done it before. And, and the guy sitting down is like, oh, okay. And then very slowly and awkwardly, the main character starts to pull the door the opposite direction that it's meant to go. And he's just sweat starts dripping down his face with this look of intensity. The bolts are flying off the door and the wood is scraping as he and the interviewer awkwardly look at each other as he just destroys the door to open it. This is what it is like for us to try to bring anything to the table that can save us. It's pushing in the opposite direction. Where we think that we have worked so hard to get in and to find elevated joy, God says that this is a free gift. Let it come to you. Let it flow to you. And when we look at salvation this way, not only does it not numb our hearts, it excites our hearts, but it stops looking like a problematic message. It becomes a message of joy. The gospel of salvation becomes good news when you, when you feel the weight of the question who then can be saved? Because it is impossible for you, but it's perfectly possible for God. Also, the gospel of salvation becomes good news to you when you despair of all the things that you have and despair even of yourself. What I mean by that is, is not, to, not to look at your possessions, your friends, or your resume, or the things the gifts that you have and to say these are all garbage and I shouldn't pay any attention to them or be grateful for them, not that, but to say that none of these things determine my salvation or can accomplish my salvation. I mean, salvation, the picture, it's like this beautiful symphony that we want to hear, this beautiful song that we want to hear. And what we think we have to do is we fill our lives with clanging cymbals and loudspeakers and AM radios and FM radios and electric guitars and, and people who are screaming. And we fill our, this space with all this noise thinking that it's going to create this beautiful symphony. And what God says to us is clear out the room. Just clear it out. And in that quiet, in that quiet really of Despair, because it is hard to clear the stuff out that we think is going to get us in and give us joy. It's in that quiet you can hear the proclamation that God welcomes you in, that God delights in you simply because he loves you, simply because he adores you, that he wants to give you forever joy, not because you are good, but because he is good.
It's in that quiet space of saying nothing that I have, nothing in myself can give me these things. None of that is the ticket. The gospel is the ticket. So who can be saved? The poor in spirit. Anyone who comes to Jesus with empty hands and says, fill me. We've got to ask not what must I do to be saved, but what did Jesus do to save me? Jesus went to the cross, the good and the place of the bad, to experience condemnation and abandonment so that we would be welcomed in forever. That he was emptied so that we would be filled with joy. Salvation is not just possible, it's proclaimed to you through Jesus. So hear it and receive it. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel, um, that it is not for the rich in spirit, it is for the poor in spirit. I pray that we would find ourselves, we would find our salvation in Jesus alone. And I pray that the gospel, the good news of salvation, would truly, it would resonate in our hearts, that we would see it as good news because you are good. We ask this in your name. Amen.